Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. This week, the new Community Commission on Public Safety and Accountability approved its first list of three finalists for the job of Chicago Police Superintendent. Mayor Brandon Johnson now has 30 days to decide if he likes one of the three candidates or demand another list. It's the maiden voyage for a new system to decide on police leadership at a time when Chicago needs it most. My guests this week are experts on such things. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. The University of Chicago is ground zero for the launch of a new policing leadership academy. It's a management and leadership initiative that its creators hope could reduce violence nationwide. An ambitious goal? Well, maybe, but look at who's involved. The Policing Leadership Academy is the creation of the University of Chicago's renowned crime lab. And joining me this weekend are two of the key players. First, we welcome back Crime Lab founder and executive director, Rosanna Ander. And we also welcome former New York City Police Chief of Department, Kenneth Corey. Chief Corey was Mayor Eric Adams' choice to run the NYPD, and the department had some success in combating gun violence. And I thank both of you for talking with me. We are conducting this discussion via Zoom conferencing. Uh, Rosanna Anna, Ander, <laughs> uh, explain what the Leadership Academy aims to be. Great. Thanks so much for having me again um, and such an auspicious time to be here for this conversation. You know, Chicago was not alone in seeing a huge surge in gun violence uh, in 2020, 2021. Cities across our nation experienced this surge in gun violence at the same time there was a crisis in legitimacy in policing and really in government. And we wanted to figure out what we could do to help both our city and our country through this crisis. And what we did was lean in on some of the important opportunities we've had to learn about what can actually work to both reduce gun violence at the same time we're not exacerbating the harms that can come from the wrong kind of policing in communities. And what we were able to do with some seed funding is launch this Leadership Academy, which will be working with cities across the country and mid-level managers in police organizations that have such a crucial role to play. They're responsible for particular geographies in those cities. And what is um, unfortunately not gotten enough attention is how little we invest in their human capital 
as a country. And this is really something that we think um, we can make uh, an impact on. And so that is sort of the motivation of this Leadership Academy is to work with those mid-level managers in Chicago's parlance, commanders in other uh, cities, they call them captains, um, but to really work with them to help them build the skills and tools they need to be good leaders for their officers and to better serve their communities. Uh, Kenneth Corey, we put a lot of stock in the selection of who runs our police departments across the country, but how much difference can people at the middle level make uh, in the success of the efforts to reduce violence? Yeah, you know, Craig, the you know selection of the top police official in, in any city, so in Chicago, the superintendent in New York, the police commissioner, is probably the most important appointment that any mayor makes. And that doesn't matter if it's in a big city or a small town. You know, police have been the most visible arm of government. Um, they are the ones that people turn to. And the right leadership is, is really critical in delivering good service to our communities. So over the years, recognizing that there's been a lot of investment at the top, right? There's a lot of development programs that are available for police chiefs, for agency heads. But really, it's that middle level. So, you know, in Chicago, your district commander, in New York, your precinct commander level, where that individual is overseeing probably 300 officers or more, policing a community of 100,000 or more. They are, in a very real sense, the chief of police in that community. So you're going to have a new superintendent in Chicago. That individual is going to have their own vision on how to deliver better public safety in Chicago, but it's up to that commander to take that vision and operationalize it, and at the same time, build trust with the community and motivate their officers. We have not given them the tools that they need to be able to do that effectively as a profession. Mm -hmm. Now, let's stop right here before we go on more with that and address the elephant in the room, because indeed Chicago is going to get a new police commissioner. And for the first time, a citizen-led panel in Chicago has conducted the search for Chicago's uh, next police superintendent. They have a list of three finalists, Angel Novales, head of the police department's Office of Constitutional Police policing. That's another way of saying police reforms. Uh, Larry Snelling, the head of C CPD's Counterterrorism Bureau, and Sean Barnes, the police chief in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, I, Especially because I think, uh, Rosanna Ander, you probably are familiar with, if not personally, uh, certainly by reputation, uh, all three of these, uh, these people. Uh, I'd like to get your initial thoughts on the process and the results. Yeah, well, I'm delighted to say that um, I have had the benefit of, of meeting and spending time with all three of the, the finalists. Um, I will uh, also mention that two of them uh, are actually directly involved in our Police Leadership Academy, which is, um, I think, very fortuitous for us and hopefully will um, underscore the kind of Chicago is actually a city that is participating in our leadership academy. And I hope that whoever the superintendent is will continue to have that opportunity to work with up and coming uh, leaders in the Chicago. Chicago Police Department. Um, so I, I have to say that I, you know, the commission is a relatively new entity. And I, you know, my perception is that they did a really extraordinary job um, under very difficult circumstances. I, I'm encouraged by sort of what, you know, I, I don't have any sort of um, 
inside knowledge about it, but just from what I saw um, from the process uh, externally, I'm, I'm encouraged by um, where where they've landed, and and I'm hopeful that the mayor will be able to make a selection. Or you know, as as Chief Corey said, the superintendent is such a critical um, position in this city, and I'm you know I'm I'm encouraged by um, by the process. I, I guess I should I should ask if if the very existence of the process, and maybe let, let me let me let you take uh, this one, Kenneth Corey, uh, to have citizens be independently looking and conducting a search like this do you do you see that as a as a step forward for a police department yeah i mean i think that there, there needs to be community engagement um in, in that process and that's not to say that the the community has a final say it should not turn into a political event with you know campaigning and and looking to rouse popular support um that's not the way you want policing either you know policing needs to address all segments of the city, all segments of the population, the community, and needs to do so equally and fairly. So you don't want a uh, police executive, the superintendent, who is beholden, let's say, to you know particular neighborhoods or groups that you know perhaps got that person their job. So you need a very fair process. Um, and I think that that's the way it, it kind of shaped up in Chicago, at least, again, looking at it from the outside. Uh, but even in New York, um, we had changed the way, uh, you know, back in 2022, I, I instituted a process where we changed the way that we selected our precinct commanders, the equivalent of your district commanders in Chicago. And a, and a big part of that was community input, taking these finalist candidates and presenting them to the community and letting them talk about themselves, their plan, their vision, and then getting feedback from the community to help inform my decision on who would be the best person to serve that community and, and to run that particular precinct. That is interesting to hear. I want to bring up one other topic involved in this, and that is Mayor Brandon Johnson early on said he preferred to pick someone from within the ranks. The question is, how important is that? Uh, I mean, outsiders recently in Chicago haven't fared very well uh, for one reason or another. Uh, I mean, a former uh, New York police uh, police chief or commissioner uh, was he Gary? Uh, why am I forgetting? Uh, Gary Gary McCarthy. Gary McCarthy. Uh, but Gary McCarthy, I, I, he seemed to be doing well, but other, you know, political factors and other things came in his way. But then we've had two others. Gary, um, um, Jody Weiss uh, was an FBI uh, agent and he didn't do well. And then recently David Brown from uh, from Texas uh, also had a problem. How important is someone from within the ranks? Let me ask you first, Ken Corey. You know, it really depends on the agency and it depends on the mayor and it depends on what, what it is that you're looking to achieve. But when you're talking about a super large department like Chicago, right, second largest police department in the country, um, bringing somebody in from the outside that is not used to the size and the scale and the complexities of that, even if they came from another large department, um, is going to be very, very challenging. So um, the learning curve in that job can be very long. You don't know the people, you don't know the culture, you don't even know the neighborhood, let's say the community. You're not familiar with the nuances of Chicago, not even just district by district, but even within those districts, right? The neighborhood by neighborhood approach. Um, so an insider, as long as you have the talent, is always going to get you out of the gate much more quickly. It's going to help you um, deliver results much more quickly. 
the negative to that sometimes is that, you know, you're part of the culture that you're looking to change. So sometimes you need an outsider to come in and, and kind of jumpstart that change in culture. But I think here, you know, with the three finalists, uh, I've met all three of them. Uh, you know, I know them to varying degrees. They are all very smart. Uh, they are all really experts in their field. Uh, and I think that the mayor has has a very tough decision to make in selecting one of those three. He's got three really good choices in front of him. And now, Roseanne, I'm going to ask you the uh, the more amorphous question uh, about this, because some of this involves the morale of the rank and file, the morale even of the uh, the middle managers. And how important should that be? in the selection of who leads a department, because some of the arguments have been that if you don't pick someone from within, then the people who are inside start to have the feeling that, well, there's 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 no hope and that we're not being listened to. And to, to the credit of uh, the uh, head of the police union, he actually said, and we haven't heard him compliment anything in the, within the administration uh the city administration up to this point but he said he thought this commission uh listened to his officers and he was and was a hundred percent better in making the selection than the previous administrations um but how important is that morale i think morale is important but i i think that to address morale, you need really competent, strong leadership. And I agree 100% with Chief Corey that there are pros and cons to both inside and outside. And it really depends on the individual that is selected. I think good leadership can get officers to do the right kind of policing, be motivated to do their jobs, to feel like they are part of an institution greater than themselves and really feel that call to serve their communities good leadership can can motivate that. And I think that is a huge part of morale. I think another thing that this, uh, whoever the new superintendent is, and that's also tied to morale, is really understanding the sort of officer wellness challenges. When you think about the exposure to vicarious trauma over and over and over again that our officers are being exposed to, um, we need to take that seriously. We have one of the worst suicide rates in the country for police officers. So I think that's very real. And so I think whoever comes in as superintendent, um, I think can get morale up by being a good leader that is exemplifying um, the right kind of leadership and also underscoring the importance of investing in, in the officers and, and making sure that they are getting the sort of um, tools and resources and also the sort of um, mental health services and other things that, that they need to be able to provide the services that communities need. Well, and we are going to get uh, deeper into this issue of overall leadership in just a second. You are listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore, and we are talking about policing and leadership with Rosanna Ander, Executive Director of the University of Chicago Crime Lab, and Kenneth Corey, former New York City Police Chief. So, yeah, let's talk about this. And, and uh, Rosanna Ander, you have research that seems to make a direct correlation between police department management and violent crime reduction. Can you sketch some of that out for us? Yeah, I mean, we in 2016, as you may recall, um, our city experienced a really unfortunate surge in gun violence, a 60% increase in 2016 over 
2015, our city was really in crisis. And I think one of the things that we learned from that, we were um, partnered up with a team from the Obama Justice Department came in and, and did a sort of assessment, both of the civil rights issues in the department, but also their ability to have an impact on violent crime. And out of that came a recommendation to do more work at the district level, really pushing out resources, tools, and, and um, mentoring to commanders at that level. We were able to partner up with some, um, actually Charlie Beck's chief of staff at the time, Sean Malinowski, and others to work with commanders in the those districts that were experiencing the highest rates of gun violence and do a smaller scale version of what we're now doing at the national level, which is sort of leadership development management, data-driven policing, much more accountable to the community, and saw decreases in gun violence without commensurate increases in arrests. And that really gave us a glimmer of what is possible um, even with very modest resources to help commanders do their jobs better. And then we also looked at uh, a bunch of other national research. And um, we have a very high bar uh, at the University of Chicago in terms of what we find as convincing research. We were really convinced after looking at what happened in Chicago, as well as looking at some other national research, that this lever of management has really been untapped really uh, within police organizations. The private sector has known for years how important leadership and management is and spends billions upon billions of dollars investing in human capital of managers in, in the private sector. We have really um, let the public sector uh, um, not have that kind of investment. So um, the, the research I, we find pretty convincing, but we wanna make sure we are holding ourselves accountable even in, you know we are a part of a research organization. So as we implement this leadership academy, and I should also mention, we have a sister leadership academy for community violence intervention, organizations as well that's going to be happening in parallel, we are going to be very rigorously measuring the impact on things like violence in, in the um, communities where those commanders work, but also things like trust and um, legitimacy. So we want to make sure that we are being hands above the table, holding ourselves accountable, making sure that this is actually having the intended impact because we want this to be scaled and sustained nationwide. And we can't do that if, if we can't prove that it's really making a difference. And uh, Kenneth Corey, we we talk a lot about the need for trust uh, in various communities in the police. How do you how do you train to build that kind of trust? Uh, you know, is one thing to even figure out how to get it, but then how do you train leaders to be able to lead for it? You know, trust takes time, right? Trust has to be earned. It, it said that uh, trust arrives on foot and leaves on horseback. So a lot of work goes into that, and it all starts with building relationships with the community. And that's going to involve getting officers and, and their commanders and their superintendent to go into areas where they traditionally haven't and to sit down with the people in those communities and have what are, quite frankly, often very difficult conversations to have. But you've got to listen to um, to the people in those neighborhoods. You've got to embrace a philosophy of community policing, which recognizes that there is no cookie cutter approach to policing. That every neighborhood needs to has its own nuances and needs to be policed, you know, a, a little bit differently. And that what's important to people up on Michigan Avenue is not necessarily what's important to people in Garfield Park. So you you really need to. Um, 
make those engagements, start building those relationships, and that's how you start to develop trust. Rosanna Ander, is is there uh, are there things that you can teach or or train people in one area that will I mean that will go across the board, or does this training really have to be fine tuned for where the police commanders are coming from? Yeah, I, I really do think there are skills that are will transcend place. So I think really understanding how to, one of the things that I keep stealing uh, Chief Corey's lines, um, one of the things that he pointed out, you know, having risen up uh, through the NYPD, our nation's biggest um, police department, the, the tool that police departments train the least on that is the most important in their job uh, is their mouth. It's communication. And so I think regardless of what neighborhood you're in, the ability to communicate effectively, which requires active listening, which requires not doing all the talking. Um, so I think there are basic tools that will transcend and be adaptable to different places. Being able to be data-driven, being able to pull in data to make decisions, being able to motivate um, people who are working for you. So there are all of these things are intended to be, um, you know, ethical leadership. You know, all of those things are not intended to be so specific to a place, but tools that you can use so that wherever you're working, you really have the basic skill set you need to be able to serve that community, that neighborhood effectively. Um, and so this, you know, and, and we also are sort of taking the same approach with community violence um, leadership. We want these skills to be transferable um, so that it's really about investing in human capital and not telling you exactly how to do your job in this specific neighborhood, but really wherever you end up, how can you be an effective leader and manager. Yeah, Craig, this isn't so much, I'm sorry, this no, the, the no, policing please, leadership. Yeah, <laughs> the policing leadership academy isn't so much training as it is education. You know, when we train people, you know, we kind of give them a step-by-step -step approach and we teach you how to do a particular skill, right? First do this and then do that. What we're really doing here is is giving these commanders the tools to expand their minds, to think about things in a different way, and and then take that back home with them and apply it within their own communities. One of the things that the that what that they have to do as part of the program is they have to do a capstone project, and it's not a theoretical um, capstone. We want them to identify an actual issue in their community, back in their home city, and then come to us and present the issue present what they think the solution to that issue is, or, or at least a, a path towards a solution, and then actually go back home and implement it and start making that community safer, you know, using this, this plan that they've laid out. Um, so the skills are certainly transferable because like, like I said, we're really giving them an education, a world-class education um, to, to expand their minds. How much of this is dependent on the resources that are available in the individual departments, for example, and I know this is probably I know this is the case in New York and, and, and is the case now in Chicago that the data are there. I mean, that they, they do have places where they're gathered, you know, they're getting the statistics of where crime is occurring and the like. But how many other departments can say that and do that or have the ability to use those kinds of tools? And, and how do you have to uh, adjust? For, for that when you're working with leaders? Well, I mean, we're going to teach them on, on how to use data to inform their decision-making. 
And that's a big part of this program as well. Um, most police departments today, and, and, and certainly big city police departments, collect very comprehensive data on all manner of things. They don't all analyze it well, and they certainly don't use it to inform their decision-making well. And that's part of what, um, you know, part of the things that we're looking to teach. And again, having them do it at the local level, coming in with the crime data from their own districts and then sitting down and, and helping them to digest it and see what that means. And now what would you do to, to address this issue, but using also a holistic approach? So using DVI people, you know, in, in your particular area, your particular city, um, and we will have, as the program moves forward, some overlap even between our CVI Academy and our Policing Leadership Academy so that they can kind of work together. Um, but also, what other uh, resources can you bring towards solving this problem? Are there other city agencies that need to be involved here? Are there other community groups, nonprofits? Uh, the, policing is not the answer to all the all of the issues in a community and, and frequently can't provide anything more than a temporary solution. So really getting them to understand how to solve problems um, and then take that problem-solving approach back with them. If I could ask, what, um, what are the things that police agencies need to know or change about use of force? Because that's another area where you get a lot of, it becomes a flashpoint in communities and is a lot of areas where the trust breaks down. How do you deal with that? You know, transparency is very important. Um, and when you when you're talking about use of force, so police, uh, you know, police agencies need to be very accountable to the community. When when there is a controversial use of force, uh, they need to be upfront and open about it, and and kind of lay the facts on the table. This is what happened. This is what we know so far, and this is where we're headed. Um, you know, there will be a thorough investigation. And, and if this was inappropriate, the people are going to be held accountable. At the same time, we need to give the officers the tools and the skills they need to handle situations differently than they did in the past. And all too often, you know, when police budgets are cut, and I ran training for, for a number of years for the NYPD, when police budgets are cut, the training budget is the first thing to get cut. Right. Because, well, we have to keep the cars running. We have to respond to the 911 calls. So training is kind of seen as a luxury and it shouldn't be. So changes in training typically happen at the recruit officer level. So new people coming into the police department are trained differently than the ones that are there. But the ones that are there may be with you for another 15 or 20 years and receive no additional training once they graduated from the police academy. Right. So now imagine that. Imagine if you went to a doctor for a medical procedure and the doctor says, well, I've never actually done this, but I saw it 10 years ago one time in medical school, right? You would never allow that to happen, but we allow that all the time in policing. So, you know, there needs to be high quality, recurring training, stressing de-escalation, stressing alternatives to force. And again, and there's a number of cities that have put forth things like this um, with, with tremendous results, you know, results that have been studied, evidence-based now, uh, to show that there are decreases not only in uses of force and, and injuries to uh, subjects, but also reduction in injuries to officers as well. So, um, but the agencies need to have the money and the commitment to be able to implement programs like that. Roseanne, I want to, you touched on something that I want to uh, circle back to, and that is how you uh, dovetail with efforts 
outside of the police departments to address the root causes of violence. Uh, and you just you said you, you're actually going to be doing some training in, in some of those areas as well. So talk about that a little bit. Sure. Yeah, no, we're, we're really excited to have uh, in parallel to the Police Leadership Academy, a com community violence intervention leadership academy. So very much akin to on the policing side, we're working at that mid-level manager, commander level for the CVI leadership academy. It's the people who are supervising the street outreach staff who are running those organizations and investing in their human capital. We've sort of outsourced to these two sectors, policing and community violence, the really hard job of addressing gun violence while not doing more harm to the community. And we have invested very little, especially in the community violence intervention organization leadership. Um, and so we want to develop a, um, a curriculum that's really tailored towards their needs, but again, also is building transferable skills. Um, and we're delighted that Dr. Chico Tillman is going to be helping to lead up that CVI Leadership Academy. Um, we had an open call for applications from across the country. I think we've gotten well over 100 applicants for about 30 spots uh, in each cohort. So the first cohort is going to be starting in September. We are eager to work with you know, Chicago organizations, but also organizations across the country and as Chief Corey said, I think there's going to be really um, interesting opportunities for those cohorts to come together and really learn from each other and start to sort of figure out how to work in ways that are clearly different roles to play. But I think same uh, goal, shared goal in mind, which is to reduce gun violence in neighborhoods while not doing um, the, the harm that can lead to lack of trust and legitimacy, particularly in, in policing. Well. I, I thank you both for, for this. Uh, that is Rosanna Ander, Executive Director of the University of Chicago Crime Lab, and Kenneth Corey, the former New York City Police Chief. Thank you both for spending the time with me. Uh, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That's WBBMNewsRadio.com. There's a link on the homepage. You can also find our podcast on Odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 1059 WBBM. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 